I am really excited to be here. Um, I wanted to just kind of start by introducing myself, so you didn't give away too much, Nick, um, but just to start by introducing myself, where I've been, uh, what we've been doing. Um, so I grew up in, in Tucson, Arizona, um, in the desert. Um, the water um, that you have here is very different to me, um, but I'm getting used to it. It's really nice. Um, but uh, I, I, I eventually became a Christian in my, my junior year of high school. Um, I started going to church, started going to a youth group where the youth pastor shared the gospel with me and, and dramatically changed my outview of the world, dramatically changed the outview, uh, the, the view that I have of God and of myself. Um, and that changed the tra trajectory of my life. And so um, from there, I went to San Diego Christian College, which is a... 300 student private Christian school in San Diego, um, and I grew immensely in my faith. Um, I grew deeper into the scriptures. I grew deeper into God and my love for him. Um, it was a very profound time um, in my life. Um, it's also where I met my wife, Abigail, so that helped too. Um, I, 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 we, I met her. We got married um, right after I graduated uh, probably a couple months after I graduated, um, and then I was like, all right, we're living in San Diego. Um, it's very expensive. Let's go to Tucson. I convinced my Southern California wife to move to the desert, um, and she, she agreed, which was great. Um, and so we, we've been living in Tucson ever since, um, and kind of what, uh, what we've been doing, and God made it clear through that time very early in our marriage that... Um, his name will be proclaimed, um, and that um, I am I am his servant. And so um, we uh, we started to go. I started to go to seminary. Um, I've been going through seminary. I'm on. Uh, I just finished this last year. I was on year nine of a two-year program. So I took my time. Um, but the program that I went through allowed me to work full-time, so we didn't have to accrue any additional debt um, in the process. I could work full-time, serve uh, part-time in the church as a pastor and as a servant. We've been involved in a church. Basically, it was a church plant uh, from uh, about 30, 30 to 50 people, um, and now uh, the church, eight years, nine years later, um, is a church of about 250 people. And so we've been able to serve in different ways over the course of the last few years in many different ways. Um, eventually, um, I was brought on as a lay pastor, so I was still working full-time in, in manufacturing um, and then serving part-time as a, as a lay pastor for the church uh, for the last about five or six years. Um, and so we, we love the church. We love um, God's Word. Um, and uh, in the meantime, in those nine years, we had three kids, uh, three daughters. Uh, we have Esther, who is eight, uh, we have Elizabeth, who is six, and Evelyn, who's about to turn four, and, and um, we love them very much. We like them a lot. Um, they're not here with us, um, but uh, they're, they're, they're back at home, um, and uh, they, they, they love the rain. Um, in Tucson, we don't get very much rain, uh, so when it does come, uh, our girls get really excited about that. So, um, uh, so I, I'm really excited... Um, I'm really excited to be here. Um, not only am I excited, I, I, I'm honored. I'm honored uh, to, to you um, and to your leadership um, that you would allow me to come and occupy this pulpit. That, that's not a small thing. 
So thank you for that. And I've been hearing of your faithfulness that you've had over the years and your love for one another. I've met many of you over the last couple of days, um, and I'm praising God uh, for the joy that you have in your Savior. And it's been such a joy for me and my wife to, to get to know you. And, and, and something that has been really encouraging me uh, today is so many people coming up and saying, I've been praying for you for a long time. I've been praying for you. Um, and, and I felt that. We have felt that. Um, and and the, the Spirit has been working in our hearts and clearly also um, in yours. And so thank you. Thank you for allowing me to, to, to come today. Um, I wanted to pray. Um, and then we'll dive in. Um, so bow your heads and, and let's pray. God, you are good. You are holy and you are just and you are right and you are the most important thing in this entire world. You're the most important thing in this entire universe. Um, Lord, would you teach us today? Would you teach us? Would you give us eyes to see you? Would you give us ears to hear? Would you give us hearts to receive you, that we may know you deeper, that we may love you more, and that we may proclaim your goodness and your light to a world that desperately needs it. Father, as we spend our time in your word, change us, mold us into who you would have us to be. God, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I wanted to ask, what you think of when you view your relationship with God? When you think of God and, and, and then you think of yourself, what comes to mind? What do you feel? Is God someone you can easily approach, you can easily talk to, or are you ashamed to talk to him? Is Jesus your homeboy, someone you feel that you can hug and enjoy? Are you scared of him? Do you enjoy being near him and feeling his presence? If God came over for dinner, so to speak, uh, would you be nervous? Would you be afraid to offer him your cooking? Would you plop down on your couch and put your feet up? Would you feel free enough to talk to him late into the night? Or would the awkwardness cause you to constantly be looking at the clock, waiting for him to leave? How would you define your relationship with God? And I wanted to spend our time this morning in the book of Leviticus. And I know some of you are thinking, you probably saw it on the bulletin, Leviticus. Really, Jake? Leviticus? That's the book I read to my kids when I want them to fall asleep. <laughs> Couldn't you have picked a more interesting book? But I think we can all learn from this book. It can help us understand the nature and character of God and His holiness. And it will help us to live our lives in a way that is pleasing to God. So if you have your Bibles, um, go ahead and open Leviticus chapter 10. Um, and uh, uh, if you're not sure where that is, um, it's the third book of the Bible. Um, there's a table of contents. There's no shame in using that. Um, so Leviticus chapter 10. Um, and would you please stand as we, as we read God's word? A reminder, we stand out of reverence and awe for God and for his word because we love who he is and he has spoken to us. So let's read Leviticus chapter 10, verses 10 and 11. You are to distinguish 
between the holy and the common, and between the unclean and the clean. And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. You may be seated. I think one of the reasons why uh, this book is so hard for us to understand, it's sometimes so boring, is that we don't really know what's going on in Leviticus. And most commentators say that this verse, verse 10 and 11, um, is the key to understanding the whole, ver- the whole book of Leviticus. And so I wanted to kind of uh, give us a, a little bit of a summary leading up to this point in the nine chapters Leading up to chapter 10, God is establishing, he's, he's saved the people from Egypt. God is establishing the right practices and offerings and sacrifices for his people. What is one to do when they sin? So he establishes the priests who are to minister in the tabernacle where God himself is dwelling. And at the end of chapter 9, the high priest Aaron makes an offering to the Lord that is accepted, and the glory of the Lord appears to all the people, and they bow down in worship. However, in chapter 10, things change a little bit. Look at verses 1 through 3. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, sons of Aaron the high priest, Each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said, among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. See, we're not entirely sure what went wrong here, but something clearly did. Nadab and Abihu offered unauthorized incense before the Lord. And commentators have never really come to a conclusion on what happened, but either they offered the wrong incense... They, or they offered it in the wrong way, or they themselves were unclean when they did. Regardless, they sinned before the Lord. And there's a, there's a collective shock, understandably, that runs through the entire camp of Israel. They're asking the question, how are we to approach the Lord? And the Lord spoke to Aaron And it said, you are to distinguish between holy and common and between the unclean and the clean. Between holy and common and unclean and clean. And I think this is the central idea of Leviticus, and I think it shapes the rest of the book. And this idea has been coming back to my mind over the last few months, over and over again. I've been wrestling with it in my own life. It's been affecting my own relationship with the Lord. Uh, And I hope it is is as encouraging to you as I think it has profound implications for how we should live our life as believers and Christians in the church. Now, when we read this, 
this holy, this distinction, uh, we, we think that uh, God is making synonymous distinctions. Stick with me on this. Synonymous distinctions between holy and common and unclean and clean. Basically, we think that holy is clean and unclean is equal to common. And if you were to ask any person to define holy, they would probably say something along these lines. They would say, uh, to be holy is to be clean, or without error, or that living in holiness is the opposite of living in sin. We kind of view it like this grid up uh, above me. We, we think, okay, clean equals holy, and unclean equals common. However, I think what is implied by this verse and we certainly see that throughout the rest of the book of Leviticus, um, is that cleanliness and holiness are two different distinctions and two different requirements of God. I think it looks something a little bit more like this, where you have things that are clean and things that are unclean, and then of the things that are clean, you have holy and you have common. You have things that are holy and things that are common. And I think holiness and cleanliness are not synonymous terms, but rather holiness is a subset of something that is already clean. Are you tracking with me? You got it? All right. So as, Aaron, so as God told Aaron to make a distinction between these two, I think it'd be beneficial for us to understand these two categories. So we can grow in our understanding of the character of God and grow in holiness uh, in our lives. God requires that there be a distinction between that which is unclean and that which is clean. All Israel at this time was required to be clean. So much so if that someone was unclean, they were to be removed out of the camp. They were, be, they were to be sent outside of the camp. And so if you think, if you think of Israel's camp as kind of concentric circles, at the very center you have the tabernacle where God is, where God is dwelling. Outside of that you have all of the people kind of surrounding the tabernacle. And then outside of the people are all the unclean people. They were sent away. They were sent outside of the camp. So what made you unclean? The rest of Leviticus tells us, but it could be from touching or eating an unclean animal. It could be due to menstruation. It could be contact with blood. It could be touching a dead person or a dead animal. It could be a skin condition. It could be due to sin, sexual immorality, murder, or coming into contact with another person that was unclean. See, Vern Poitras, the, uh, a theologian, says it this way. Uncleanness was not necessarily sin, but it was a picture of sin, as it was almost impossible to get through a day in ancient Israel without contracting some form, some sort of uncleanness. The Lord, by these laws, was, not, uh, was showing how thoroughly sin had corrupted human life. There was really no escaping it. In reality, their hope was not to avoid uncleanness at all. And it would be very common. It would be a very common thing uh, for someone to become unclean 
and to be sent outside the camp. They were exiled to the outside of the camp. It would happen multiple times in their lifetime. Then, after the prescribed cleansing process, which is noted here in Leviticus, they would be allowed to be, come back inside to the camp among the people and allowed back into regular life. Uncleanness shows the per- pervasive nature of sin in the lives of the people. And uncleanness uh, is shown as a picture of the inwardness of our sin as well. See, we do wrong. In our lives, we think evil of one another. We lie to one another. We lust after others. We disobey. We cheat. We look to other things to satisfy us. And if we're honest with ourselves, our hearts are desperately unclean. We know that we cannot merely wash ourselves with water to remove sin. It took a sacrifice of an animal in ancient Israel to make them clean, and we have Christ who makes us clean from our sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says it this way, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor reviler, I'm sorry, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. See, we are unclean, but we are made clean through the blood of Christ. And I think this is in part what the writer of Hebrews is alluding to when he says, Jesus goes outside the camp, and he goes outside the camp to suffer on our behalf. Jesus goes outside the camp and bears our uncleanness on himself. But cleanliness is not the only thing that Jesus would have for us. Merely being forgiven and washed from our sins is not all that Jesus would have for us. Being justified is not all that Jesus would have for us. See, God would have us to be holy. Later in Leviticus, um, and many times throughout the Bible, uh, God says, Be holy because I, the Lord, am holy. Jesus echoes this when he says, be perfect for your heavenly Father is perfect. See, holy is not merely cleanness. And we don't often use the word holy outside of a church setting, um, but what is the definition that we often hear for the word holy? You can shout it out if you want. What's the definition of holy? Set apart, right? Set apart, which in my opinion, doesn't really help me understand what that means, um, but something that is holy is, is, is separate, is designated for a special purpose, and in the case of the book of Leviticus, is devoted to the Lord. The best way I can describe holiness um, is growing up, we have these green plates. We have these green plates um, that we would eat all of our dinners on. They were glass and semi-transparent. You could kind of see through them. Um, And uh, 
We use them almost every day for almost every meal, lunch and dinner, breakfast, and then they were washed and they were put back in the cabinet for use tomorrow. However, once in a while, on Thanksgiving, at Christmas, on Easter, you know, the big meal days, my mom pulled out the nice plates. They were fine white plates. They had intricate designs around the edges of uh, leaves and fruit inlaid around the edge. Um, when these plates got pulled out, you know the food was going to be good. You knew the food, you knew dinner was special. In the same way, all Israel needed to be clean. But the priests and the priests alone were considered holy before God. Aaron and his sons and the priests that were to come uh, were to be completely devoted in every way to the Lord. When we consider Old Testament Israel, it's really a, a series of increasingly, uh, increasing holiness and separateness. And so if we kind of go back to the idea of those concentric circles that I was talking about before, Israel as a whole needed to be clean and holy in relation to the outside world. In relation to the other nations, they needed to be holy, devoting themselves to God. Not to the gods of the, the nations around them, but they were to be holy, set apart for devotion to the Lord. And as you move closer, as you move closer to the tabernacle, uh, the holiness of the people becomes more and more specific. Only the priests were allowed in the temple to perform the sacrifices. And even as we move even further into the Holy of Holies, the very place where God dwelled, only the high priest was allowed in there, and he was only allowed in there once a year on the Day of Atonement. See, you could be the most ceremonially clean Israelite in history. If you were not a priest and you entered the tabernacle, you would be consumed by the glory of God. The priests were holy to the Lord, set apart for devotion and service. They were responsible for tending the tabernacle. They were the ones who facilitated the sacrificial system. They taught Israel the law. They were the intermediary between God and the people. And that was their job. There were holy days in Israel. There were holy times on their calendar. There were holy spaces, all of which were set aside for the specific purpose of devotion to the Lord. Presumably, Israel wanted all their dishes to be clean, just like I wanted my green plate. I wasn't going to eat on a dirty plate, and they wanted their dishes to be clean, but um, there were specific uh, instruments, there were specific plates and dishes that were used in the tabernacle solely for the, the purpose of devotion to the Lord. You weren't going to eat a sandwich on the, the, the holy plates. So what does this distinction have to do with us? We don't live in ancient Israel, and if I get eczema on my arm, I'm not exiled to the outskirts of the city. The Apostle Peter tells us in his letter, 1 Peter, that we, the church, all of us, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, 
a holy nation, a people for his own possession, for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. See, we are holy unto the Lord. Our lives, if you have put your faith in Christ and you love him and you have been saved by him, our lives are devoted wholly in every way to devotion and worship of God. See, Timberline, the goal of Jesus saving us is not merely to make us clean. He, he does that, but it's not merely to make us clean, but to make us holy. The cross did not merely bring you into the camp so you could continue to go about your normal life, but it brings us all the way into the presence of God. 1 Peter 3.8 says this, For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might, that he might bring us to God. He brings us all the way in. The work of Christ doesn't merely make us clean from sin. It brings us into the presence of God that we might approach him without fear of judgment. The goal of the gospel is that we get God. God wants us near him, but our sin separates us from him, so he has to make us clean. The cross cleanses us so that we may be brought near to God. And so God, God cares how we handle all of our money. But he says 10% of your tithe is, is given as devotion in worship to God. God cares how we spend all of our days. All of our days throughout the week, but one is set aside for devotion and worship of God in church. And I assume that's why Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays. What's different between cleanliness and holiness is that cleansing from sin happens once. Sanctification or holy making happens for the rest of our lives. So we grow in holiness by devoting more and more, increasingly more, of our lives to God. We grow in holiness when we devote not merely two hours on Sunday to, to spend with the Lord, but we devote every morning, every evening, eventually growing into every single thing that we do. We grow in holiness when we don't merely give our 10% tithe, but consider how to give more of our resources to those in need, not only in the church, uh, but to our neighbors and to those in our city. We grow in holiness when we don't merely thank God at the beginning of each meal, but constantly thank him for everything, for every gift he has given us. We grow in our holiness when we consider our gifts and our talents and use them for bringing glory to God in our professions. See, holiness isn't just about avoiding sin. It's about saying whatever we do throughout the day, are we committing it wholly to the Lord? Anyone, anyone can grow in this. Um, the guy who works in a construction job the mom who stays at home, the businesswoman that has a load of responsibilities, 
the barista making coffee early in the morning, the high school student in math class? What would it look like for you to commit your every day to the Lord? To commit all that you do, to commit your work to the Lord. As John Piper once said, the goal of every aim, hallowed be your name. In every task we do, how would it change us if we saw it as an offering to God? That's what Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 1 and 2 is saying, that we would present our bodies as a living sacrifice, an offering to God. In addition to our profession, what we do throughout the day, are you able to commit all your thoughts, all your desires, all your loves, every facet, every part, every sphere of your life in complete devotion to God? We run from sin, but we run to devotion to God, to holiness. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we fight sin, and we work to become more holy in our actions, in our thoughts, and in our desires. If we were to grow in this, here's the beautiful promise. We will be near God. Holiness brings us near to God. We will know him better. We will love him deeper. We will enjoy him more. We will find ourselves being more like him, too. We will be more loving with our coworkers. We will be more uh, joyful in our days. We will be more peaceful with our families. We'll be more patient with our kids. We'll be more kind to strangers. We'll be, more, we'll be better employees and employers. We will trust God more fully in times of trouble. We'll be more gentle with those who disagree with us. We'll be more self-controlled when things don't go our way. We will be nearer to God. If this seems like it's too difficult, if it seems like it's impossible, Jake, you don't know how hard it was to, just to come to church this morning, but now you're telling me that I have to devote all of my life to Jesus. It just seems too hard. If it does seem too hard, take heart, be encouraged, because not only do we have a Savior who makes us clean, we have a Savior who is also our example in holiness. Jesus perfectly manifests complete devotion to the Lord. In everything he did, he did it to the will of the Father, entrusting himself to God. He did not follow his own will, but the will of God even to death. In his teaching, he sought to make the name of God great, in his healings, he meant to show the power and the love of God. In everything, his, in everything he did, his ultimate aim was to serve and to bring glory to God. And finally, on the cross, he bore our sins in his body that we might be dead to sin, clean, and live to righteousness, holy. He loved God 
with all of his heart, with all of his mind, with all of his soul, and with all of his strength. So we can look to Jesus and likewise devote ourselves completely to the Lord. Let's pray. God, we need you. As we sang earlier, Lord, we need you. In everything we do, Lord, we need you. Um, Help us to continue to grow in this, that we should be made holy. And Lord, we trust that the work that you're doing in us already, you will bring about to completion, Lord. You have promised to make us holy, and so, Lord, it will happen. So, Lord, would you do a work in our hearts and in our minds, uh, not just today, but throughout our week, that we may proclaim the glory and the beauty of God. In Jesus' name, amen.